You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Hello, everyone. Welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Uh, I'm John Cullen. It's going to be a solo pod today as Lee Keller is out. Uh, he's actually at Disney World, so if you bump into him, uh, say hi and thank him for the fantasy advice. Uh, but yeah, today's show, we're still covering the latest news around baseball, talking about player performances, uh, and just discussing... Uh, changes in pitch shapes uh, with Michael Barker of PitcherList. So that'll be fun. And then obviously it just gives some streaming options for the week to wrap everything up. Uh, before we get into this episode, just want to remind you that you can all follow our podcast on Twitter at ThisWeekPL. You can send us your fantasy baseball requests to our email at thisweekplpod at gmail.com. Lastly, just make sure that you subscribe or follow our podcast on whatever streaming platform platform you listen to our podcast on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher we're on all of them so just make sure you subscribe leave a five-star review if you enjoy listening to us it's been about a month and a half into the baseball season so things are kind of getting closer to what we are expecting to see of course i'm sure not many people were expecting to see the yankees at the bottom of the al east uh, or the rays at the top of the al east i'm sure that wasn't exactly expected but uh, Detroit is somehow second in the AL Central right now. Uh, the Mets are one game above 500. Uh, don't have Lee here in today to talk about that, but obviously probably a little disappointing for for them. Pittsburgh is in first place. That's that's always fun. Uh, St. Louis is currently the worst team in the NL Central or and and the NL in, in general. So. Yeah, just some weird things, uh, but in fantasy baseball, you know, we don't care about standings. We just care if our players are doing well. Well, we're going to start with MLB news since the last podcast. There was a lot of injuries. I actually didn't really even talk about all the small things that happened throughout the week that prevented people from playing games, but maybe just what's going to affect the next week of games. Uh, we're going to start with Kento Maeda of the Twins. He was placed on the 15-day IL with a right tricep strain. Again, it's not directly related to the part of his elbow that underwent Tommy John surgery. So the Twins are just thinking, it's a muscle issue. He'll be back uh, soon-ish. Christian Pache of the Phillies will place on the 10-day IL with a torn meniscus in his right knee, but the Phillies are hopeful he can return the season. It's probably going to be a three- to four-month recovery period, uh, so we'll see what they can do for the former top prospect. Brooks Raley of the Mets was placed on the 15-day IL with left elbow inflammation. This basically solidifies that David Robertson and Adam Onovino are going to be the top two options out of the bullpen for the Mets uh, for the foreseeable future. Tyler Glasnow of the Rays started a minor league uh, rehab assignment uh, went a couple innings and got four strikeouts i believe um, so good to see him back uh, basically that minor league rehab assignment uh, starts the 20 day clock for him to return to the major so he should be back within three weeks Jacob DeGrom of the Rangers was placed on the 15th DIL with right elbow inflammation. Uh, the Rangers are saying it's just a precautionary thing, but they also said he was going to be out for a few weeks. Uh, just kind of a maybe mixed message there. He did start playing catch uh, later in the week, but uh, still no you know, baseball activities or things like that. Adam Wainwright of the Cardinals will be starting on Saturday after starting the season on the injured list. He did go five and two-thirds innings with nine strikeouts in his last minor league rehab assignment. Uh, so we'll see if he'll be able to bring that success uh, to the Cardinals because they sorely need it. Luis Severino of the Yankees is on track to rejoin the starting rotation in two three weeks, according to manager Aaron Boone. He's expected to start uh, in a minor league, league rehab game uh, after being out since late March with a right lat strain. Um, so uh, obviously some needed help for the Yankees rotation as well. Chad Cool of the Nationals was placed on the 15-day IL with right foot metatarsalgia, uh, which basically is just a big toe sprain. I could have just said that earlier, but... Um, yeah, Chad Cool, not going to be uh, pitching for the next couple of weeks. Bryce Harper of the Phillies uh, basically had a modern medical miracle because he returned from Tommy John surgery, which he had back in November. Initially, they thought that he wouldn't be back until the All-Star break, but he's played in a couple games so far, uh, gone three for seven last I checked. So, you know, not bad, pretty pretty solid stuff. Uh, Kyle Farmer of the Twins started a minor league rehab assignment this week. He was on the injured list after getting hit in the face by a pitch, needed surgery to repair some facial cuts, thankfully no fractures to his jaw, uh, so he should be back in the majors in a couple weeks. Cal Hendricks of the Cubs made another minor league rehab start. He should be back soon, but the Cubs want to f build him up fully before he's back in Chicago. Nicky Lopez of the Royals was placed on the 10-day IL with appendicitis. 
the big news here, though, was that the Royals called up their top prospect, Michael Garcia. Uh, so look out for Michael Garcia on the waiver wire. Daniel Lynch of the Royals made a minor league rehab start. Should be rejoining the Royals rotation in a few weeks. Hans Arbelto and Tim Anderson of the White Sox were both activated from the 10-day IL this week. Um, Tim Anderson made some uh, made a pretty big impact as soon as he came back. So um, both guys look healthy. Avisel Garcia of the Marlins was placed on the 10-day IL with left-back tightness. Uh, he hasn't made too much of an impact this season, so this won't, don't expect this to change too much for the Marlins' offense. Uh, Jose Altuve of the Astros started feeling ground balls this week. Not swinging a bat yet, but he is still recovering from that broken right thumb that he suffered in the WBC. The expectation is that he'll be back in Houston um, in about a month, uh, basically early June. Uh, Liam Hendricks of the White Sox was able to have a minor league rehab assignment this week, uh, which is great news, obviously, coming back from that cancer diagnosis, and ultimately it's it's now in remission, which is great. The White Sox want him to have four to five appearances before coming back to the majors and should be on the roster within three weeks. Herman Marquez of the Rockies uh, is going to undergo Tommy John surgery and hopes to be back by the start of the 2024 season. Jose Quijada of the Angels is also undergoing Tommy John surgery as well. Uh, Quijada was, uh, you know, one of those setup men for Angels, was a good source of holds, unfortunate for him. And, you know, we all know Marquez. Um, it just is unfortunate he pitches in cores, um, but he's always been a, a decent pitcher. Maybe not for fantasy, but in real life. Uh, Carlos Carrasco of the Mets was able to make a rehab start, expected to join the rotation next week. Uh, I mentioned him a little bit later, but he goes against the Nationals. Even though it's a still ill and he doesn't really have a lot of uh, strikeout potential, that could be an interesting matchup for you to to start next week. Daniel Espino of the Guardians, who's arguably Cleveland's best pitching prospect, and one of the better pitching prospects in baseball in general, is going to be out for a year after shoulder surgery. Uh, so this really doesn't affect most redraft leagues, uh, but he's basically not expected to make an impact in Cleveland until 2025, probably. Garrett Cooper of the Marlins was placed on the 10-day IL with an ear infection. Um, he had been mashing for them this year, so it's a little unfortunate for him. Pete Fairbanks of the Rays was placed on the 15th IL with right forearm inflammation. That was just a reoccurrence of Reno syndrome, which he had been dealing with last season, but it looks to be a little bit more severe. Um, expect Jason Adam to pick up more of the save opportunities now in Tampa Bay. Nestor Cortez for the Yankees was dealing with strep throat, which meant that his start got pushed back to Monday against the A's, but uh, no further complications with that. Ranger Suarez of the Phillies uh, made his final minor league rehab start, and he could be back next week after dealing with a left elbow strain. Jared Walsh of the Angels should be starting a minor league rehab assignment soon. He has been on the injured list due to headaches and insomnia, but it sounds like uh, the treatment that he underwent worked. He's no longer dealing with those issues, so expect him to be back soon. Michael Harris II of Atlanta was removed from a game after jamming his knee trying to beat out an infield single. The Atlanta says that he avoided serious injury. He won't be going on the IL, but he did miss a couple games, including just Friday's game. So I just keep monitoring that and seeing um, you know, if, if Atlanta decides to end up putting him on the injured list. Uh, his teammate Kyle Wright was placed on a 15-day IL due to right shoulder soreness. Not a great sign because he had shoulder inflammation to start the season, which is the first time, which was why he got put on the aisle earlier in the season. Um, so it's not not great for Kyle Wright. Um, the corresponding move was Dylan Dodd, who did get a quality start, so good for Dodd, but he immediately got sent down. Uh, so we'll see what goes on with that Atlanta rotation. Nolan Gorman of the Cardinals is currently day-to-day -day with lower back tightness, um, although I did believe he pinch hit. Uh, so it doesn't look too bad. Joe Musgrove of the Padres has a start pushed back to Sunday due to a blister on his foot, but at least it's not another trip to the IL or, you know, just dropping a weight on your toe. Rysel Iglesias of Atlanta uh, was activated from the 15-day IL. Happy doing with shoulder inflammation. Asian Minter had been the closer for the time being, but Iglesias should be the main guy now. Tyler O'Neill of the Cardinals was placed on the 10-day IL with a lower back strain. Carlos Rodon of the Yankees, um, dealing with some extra complications, will be getting a cortisone shot uh, to kind of speed up the healing uh, or just, you know, help in the healing. But there's still no timetable for his return to the Yankees rotation. It's kind of crazy that he signed that big contract and he still hasn't made his uh, Yankees debut. 
Kyle Isbell of the Royals was diagnosed with a grade 2 hamstring strain. It's going to miss six weeks. Tyler Molly of the Twins was initially placed on the 15-day IL, uh, but was just transferred to the 16-day IL with an elbow impingement and a strained flexor. Uh, so just kind of unfortunate luck for Molly, who, you know, last season being traded from the Reds to the Twins, started dealing with some shoulder soreness that they really couldn't figure out what was going wrong. He said he was feeling good in spring training, and then you know, this popped up, which isn't great. Trevor Larnick of the Twins was optioned back to the minors because the Twins are now calling up Alex Kirilov. Larnick had started the season strong, but had been struggling recently. Pitches were basically kind of figuring him out and only throwing him off-speed stuff or breaking stuff. Um, and yeah, he just wasn't as successful. Kirilov, of course, former top 100 prospect. Legitimate power, just dealing with wrist injuries the past two seasons. So we'll see how Kirilov does now in uh, an everyday role for the Twins. Luis Garcia of the Astros is going to have to undergo Tommy John surgery, which is unfortunate. He had a rough start to the season, but he had looked like he was turning things around in his past couple starts. Um, his most recent one uh, was a gem, so it's it's really unfortunate for the Astros, and they're dealing with a lot of injuries in their rotation as well. Jake Berger of the White Sox was placed on the 10-day IL with a strained left oblique. He had been leading the team in home runs. Um, oblique injuries are weird, so it, you know we'll see how long he's out for. Max Muncy, the Dodgers, left Friday's game with flu-like symptoms, but he should be back soon. No reason to worry here for the current league leader in home runs. And then Andrew McCutcheon of the Pirates was scratched from Friday's game with a sprained left ankle. Uh, so just keep monitoring that if you have McCutcheon on your teams. Well, that's it for injuries. Um, you know, like we say every single time, you know, there's, there's just a lot of big names here, but it's good to see some guys coming back. You know, Tyler Glass now for sure. Um, he was at the top of the list for a lot of, you know, Stuff Plus and PLV stuff. Obviously, he missed most of last season uh, dealing with that injury to his elbow. Uh, so we'll see how good he is coming back. Uh, you know, unfortunate that DeGrom is out for, you know, probably going to be a month, um, but that's kind of just the, the reality of DeGrom and having him on your roster. Uh, with the two Yankees pitchers, Nestor Cortez, you know, he's only got his start pushed back to Monday, but it's just kind of uh, indicative of how unlucky that rotation's been. Um, and of course, uh, Carlos Rodon still not being able to play and having no timetable coming back. And personally, of course, I'm excited about Alex Kirilov finally coming up. He was raking in AAA um, in his rehab assignment and also when he got optioned there uh, last week. So um, it should be fun to see him at first base. He might play some outfield too, but for now he, he's going to be the everyday first baseman for the Twins. Well, moving on, we're going to go straight into our performance recaps. Just as a reminder, we get pretty much all our hitter and pitcher highlights from the daily articles over on the PitcherList website. The BatterBox and SP Roundup articles are incredible resources to read just to see how players performed each day. But getting right into it, we're going to start with April 28th, last Friday, uh, and we're going to talk about Isaac Paredes, who we actually mentioned a couple weeks ago in the interview on Brandon Drury. Uh, Paredes, you know, has a hot bat. Um, he he kind of swings between hot and cold, um, and he looked good on Friday. He went three for four with two doubles, a home run, two runs, and an RBI. Uh, the first hit of the night came in the third with an opposite field double on an 0-1 fastball from Lucas Giolito, and then he came in again in the sixth when it was tied. Um, another double to left. Uh, but he made basically his uh, – he caused some big damage in uh, in the seventh when he decided to hit a home run off Kendall Graveman. That ultimately proved to be the game changer in that 3-2 win uh, for the Rays. And he is currently tied for second most on the Rays in terms of RBI. So good for um, Isaac Paredes. Moving on to Saturday, uh, Drew Maggie. If um, you guys don't know the story of Drew Maggie, um, he spent 13 years in the minor leagues, bounced around in different systems, uh, including the Twins, I believe. But uh, he's now with the Pirates, and so he finally got promoted on April 23rd. Um, just a great story here. He uh, was initially hitless in his first four major league at-bats. Um, but coming back, he was the 27th man on the for the Pirates doubleheader on Saturday, um, and he came off the bench and basically, you know, 
probably did the best that he could do to finish out his major league career. Got two hits, got a double, um, and his first RBI as well. Uh, he was just optioned back to double A though, so it's a little unfortunate. But hey, at least uh, the guy was able to kind of fulfill a dream and and make it to the majors and, and get a hit and an RBI. So uh, great for Drew Maggie. And then on Sunday, uh, Cal Rowley, aka Big Dumper. Two for four with two homers, three runs, four RBIs, and a walk. Uh, yeah, he was super clutch for Seattle. Um, in the eighth, they were trailing 8-5, and he hit a homer uh, off Anthony Bass. And then in the ninth inning when the game was tied, um, or actually in the tenth inning when the game was tied, uh, Raleigh came up again and hit another homer to give Seattle the 10-8 lead. Uh, Raleigh, you know, is, is kind of at the bottom tier of uh, – catcher that you would start in a one catcher league his average is currently 232 so not really anything to write home about um he does have five homers on the season 18 rbi he is slugging 443 you know decent walk rate but the striker rate's kind of kind of scary at 30 percent um rally's still a guy who's you know worth keeping tabs on if if you need help at the catcher position because he can run into you know a, a hot streak of homers he did have 27 last year so um, yeah, look for look for Raleigh if, if you're looking for catcher help. Uh, moving on to pitchers then, uh, starting on Friday, uh, I'm going to talk about Dustin May because, man, Dustin May's been really, really tough this year in, in deciding whether to keep him on rosters or not. He went against the Padres with five innings with two run runs, three hits, four walks, four strikeouts. Not necessarily a terrible start, but the problem is he didn't get a lot of whiffs. Um, he had nine whiffs total, but only four uh, across his secondary whiffs. The slinker, the sinker wasn't located super well, which is unfortunate. And I think with May, the the main thing with him is wanting to see if his look, he can command the ball better, um, if he can you know basically get more swinging strikes, which is I mean what you say about all pitchers. But with May, I think we we expect a lot more from him, and he's not getting it. So. You know, he's probably some guy that you can you can definitely drop in a 10-teamer. 12-teamer, you could probably consider if there's someone better out there. And we'll see what happens with May. Maybe he's able to turn it around. Um, oh, just correction. He, the start was against the Cardinals. His next start is against the Padres. Uh, definitely not starting him there. So, you know, we'll see what happens with May. He might be able to turn it around in a, in a couple starts, and he might be worth picking up again. But for now, he's probably you're probably okay with dropping him. Uh, moving on to... Saturday's game, talking about Nathan Eovaldi, who had a complete game shutout against the Yankees. Nine innings, zero runs, three hits, no walks, eight strikeouts. Uh, just, wow, great great start for Eovaldi. Fastball was 97 miles an hour. Um, you know, against the Yankees, obviously, you know, they are dealing with some stuff. Um, I forgot to mention this on the injury report, but Aaron Judge is on the injury list, and that Yankees lineup is not particularly good. But Evaldi was still able to, you know, do good stuff. When you have a complete game shutout, only give up three hits. Um, it, it's pretty solid. The curveball was probably his best pitch of the night with a 42% CSW. The other pitches, you know, they're they're all right. Um, he probably was, you know, helped a lot by his defense because if you look at the strike zone plot, it is pretty much all in the middle. Um, but you know, that's okay. I think with Evaldi, kind of expect him to be. You know, a little bit of a ground ball pitcher. He has a, a you know, decent ground ball rate this year. That, that hasn't been the star for him his entire career. Um, but, yeah, he's been doing really, really well this season. You know, really low walk rate, good good CSW rate. The the ERA is a little high, but, you know, that's just a couple starts here and there. That's that's causing that. So, um, yeah, good for Evaldi. Good to see that he is doing well. Uh, wrapping up on Sunday, uh, we just talked about Nestor Cortez and wasn't pretty in his start on Sunday. 4.2 innings, 7 earned runs, 5 hits, 4 walks, 7 strikeouts. The 7 strikeouts are nice, of course, um, but you don't love the fact that he gave up 7 earned runs. That's just not great. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of weird what's going on with Cortez. I think the four-seamer just really isn't where it was last year. Um, it only went 1 for 44 on whips. Um, wasn't commanded very well. It was kind of all around the zone. The cutter is pretty decent, um, but 
yeah, the the four seamer cutter combination just really isn't uh, working too well, and the secondary stuff isn't isn't as great either. Uh, on his sweepers and sliders, he only got eight strikes uh, on those pitches, throwing eighteen. Um, you know, is this sort of like a you know coming down to earth sort of thing for Cortez? That's definitely possible. I mean, it, it would be hard for us to expect him to replicate last week's uh, last year's performance, but at the same time, you know, he he did have a good season and so we'd like to expect the same things out of him this year so we'll see what happens with Cortez as the season goes on of course he got his start pushed back uh, because of strep throat so we'll see what happens uh, when he pitches on Sunday moving on to Monday's games with the set it and be article from Gabe Gorlnick for the batter's box uh, we're going to talk about Sean Murphy, who has rocketed up the leaderboards for catchers after basically being uh, not played uh, for a couple of games to start the season. He went two for four with two home runs, two runs, and six RBI. And yeah, Sean Murphy was great for, for Atlanta. Uh, they had a doubleheader against the Mets. Uh, Sean Murphy had a hand in seven of the team's 12 runs over those two games. Um, yeah, he's been really solid. I think he's leading his team, uh, the Atlanta in OPS. So um, yeah, good for him. And then another guy who uh, we talk about a lot, but maybe not enough, Mookie Betts for the Dodgers. Three for five with a double home run, two runs, and three RBI. Uh, helping the Dodgers as they scored 13 runs against the Phillies. He was a triple shy of the cycle, but he did have the third hardest hit ball of the game in his single. He took Craig Cribble deep with uh, with that home run. And even though the Sackhouse data has been kind of down to start the season, um, definitely not like this as good as even Betts to know that he is capable of you know just kind of doing the, the insane things that that we expect from bets moving on to pitching uh, with the dom yankee article from nick pollock uh yeah we want to start out with drew smiley who pitched a gem against the national seven innings one earned run six hits no walks two strikeouts okay this two strikeouts maybe not not the, the gem part but the main thing here is that he is executing the blake snell blueprint perfectly the curve is getting everything that you want except for you know whiffs but that's that's drew smiley he gets the marlins today saturday we'll see how that start goes um and you know i don't know if drew smiley is like worth keeping on your team um they do go up against minnesota next and that that could be a little scary um and then i believe it's houston right for that so he's probably <laughs> worth a drop after this start um but he has been doing, you know, decent well and being being able to, you know, have seven shutout innings or seven one run innings, I should say, uh, is not a bad thing. So uh, good for Drew Smiley. And then Blake Snell, uh, six innings, three earned runs, eight hits, no walks, seven strikeouts against Cincinnati. He got 17 whips in this one. The curveball was working, 64% strike rate, 48% CSW. Yes, it was a very poor quality start. But it's a lot better than what we've seen from Snell this entire season. So, uh, honestly, I'd, I'd focus more on the fact that he had seven strikeouts. He didn't walk anyone. And, you know, as long as he can have a little bit better command with the fastball, you know, have the slider working a little bit more, I think we could see, you know, a little bit of a Blake Snell resurgence. Moving on to Tuesday's games, we're going to start with the Wong Show from Mark Stubinger as their Batterbacks article. Uh, Connor Wong. Four for four with a double, two homers, two runs, and an RBI for Boston. Uh, this was, you know, a matchup between the Red Sox and the Boston, you know, one of those classic AL East uh, slugfests. And, yeah, uh, Connor Wong's first homer was off Zach Pop, off uh, over the Green Monster. So, uh, yeah, pretty, pretty solid there. Uh, definitely showing off the power a little bit. Um, and then he basically did the same thing again in the eighth, hitting another homer from Eric's off Eric Swanson, um, and that ultimately uh, was uh, was the deciding factor. The unfortunate thing, of course, here for the Jays was that Fenway was only one of two ballparks where Wong's second homer would have gotten out of the yard. He's slashing 290, 353, 516 this year. Uh, just, you know, one of the hotter batters. We didn't mention him last week, but there's been a lot of hot bats for the Red Sox recently. Um, he that, that game on Tuesday was his third straight multi-hit game. Uh, he's got 136 WRC+. He's got catcher eligibility, which is great. 
Um, the main thing here, of course, is just looking at how often he's going to be playing because the catching situation is kind of um, evenly split between him and Reese McGuire. So, you know, he's probably more of a two-catcher league kind of guy rather than someone you want to pick up in a one-catcher league. Um, but, you know, if, if, if we track this and, you know, the Red Sox are starting to play Wong more than McGuire, uh, he might be worth picking up even in one-catcher leagues. Uh, moving on, Salvador Perez of the Royals, two for three with two homers, three runs, three RBIs, and a walk. Uh, just a great game from another catcher um, who, you know, he had two homers in this one. Uh, through the first month, he's been looking, you know, like like Salvi. He's hitting 279, 321, 490. He's got 120 WRC+. Plus. Um, the only thing was he was uh, hit... Uh, during this game uh, went by Anthony Santander, uh, Senator Swing, I should say specifically. Uh, but, you know, X-rays came back negative. He's day-to-day uh, with a bruised finger. I think he was able to play um, again this week. So I don't think there's any true complications from that. Um, yeah, he hit a homer on, on, a, on Thursday. So, yeah, he should be fine. Um, but, yeah, just something to monitor for Salvi. Um yeah, he's been one of the better catchers. You know, he's got six homers this season, thirty-six uh, percent hard contact rate, which is huge. Um, he is mashing the ball really, really well. You know, there's been a lot saying about you know is this his uh, last season in Kansas City, uh, but I think Salvi has been doing a really good job, kind of leading that team of young players, and exciting to see where that that team goes um, in the AL Central. As I mentioned, the Tigers are second right now, so it is completely open uh, for anyone. Moving on to pitchers, we're going to start with a cool mill. Uh, that's the article from Nick Pollock for the SP Roundup. Uh, talking about Bryce Miller, who uh, made his MLP debut, had five perfect innings, uh, Went ultimately went six innings with one and run, two hits, no walks, and ten strikeouts. Um, yeah, Bryce is legit. I mean, he was he was called up straight from double A. He didn't have some the greatest results in double A, that, that, that being said. Um, but the arsenal was great. It's it's a lot of fastballs. You know, it sounds like an, another Seattle pitcher essentially. Um, you know, it's got a few cutters that, you know, a little could use some work in the command uh, department. It's got the slider as well. Um, but yeah, the fa- the main thing is that fastball is really, really good. Um, it had a 40% CSW. Yes, against the athletics, but it's, it's still... Uh, hard to ignore 10 strikeouts. Um, if Bryce is able to stay up in the rotation, um, I think he would definitely be worth a pickup in most of your leagues. He does get Houston uh, tomorrow, Sunday. Um, but, you know, if the, if the matchups are good for him, I, he's definitely worth starting. And, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how he fares against Houston. If he really excels in that game, then I think there's no reason to not keep him on your teams. The fun thing was that he went up against Mason Miller, uh, of the A's who also pitched a jump seven innings, zero and in run, zero hits, four walks, and six strikeouts. Uh, yeah, seven no hit innings from a rookie. That is pretty solid. Uh, the, the nice thing here, too, was that Oakland let him go to 100 pitches. Uh, the slider was elite at a 46% CSW. Uh, that might not have been even his best pitch uh, because the fastball was uh, nice at 97. The cutter was really, really looking good. Um, so yeah, I think he's got, um, definitely a lot of potential here. I think the A's are definitely going to let him run. And the only, the only question is how much of the season are they going to let him pitch just because he's never been stretched out this long, um, in terms of, you know, innings in a season. So, you know, we'll see how long Oakland uh, lets him go for it, but they have no re- they have nothing to lose. Uh, so I, it would not be surprising if they just say, Hey, let's just try this experiment for the entire year. Um, it'll just be interesting to see how this, how, you know, that effect that, Increased workload affects Miller over the course of an entire season. Well, we're going to take a quick break here, and when we come back, we are going to talk about pitchers uh, and batters starting on Wednesday. All right, and we are back. Uh, we're going to start with the Batters Box article, The Walker Dead from Jim Chatterton. Uh, and we're going to start with Marcel Ozuna of Atlanta, three for five with two home runs, three runs, five RBI. Um, of course, Ozuna, uh, you know, had had some legal issues back in 2021. Uh, also, had some injury issues. He had fractured two fingers. Uh, I think ultimately the domestic violence thing um, was ultimately he was ultimately cleared of, but definitely affected him as he uh, had an 88 WRC plus in 2022. This season also not great. He's way below the Mendoza line with a batting average of 147, um, and that's after including this two homer game from Ozuna. 
Um, I, I, I don't think he's really worth a spot on your fantasy squads. You know, maybe just keep an eye out for him because he is a really, really solid power hitter. Um, but you know, if, if, the average isn't there, and, and frankly, the OBP is not there either. Um, he's only batting two. He's only uh, has a two forty seven on base percentage as well. Um, it's going to be hard to you know rationalize bringing him on your team. A guy who's been really good this season, Josh Young of the Rangers, went through for five with also two homers, two runs, and three RBI. He's currently slashing two seventy five, three twenty five, five forty one. He's got eight homers after this two run game. Uh, you know, the main thing with, with Young is, is just the high strikeout rate, 32 pipe per percent. It's not great. Uh, it is down from last season, if you can believe it. Um, but the nice thing here is that he's hitting the ball hard. He is lifting the ball. Um, his, his fly ball rate's now at 40%, which is good in the 84th percentile. Um, 24 RBI as well. So he's doing well in the counting stats department. Um, yeah, he's, he's definitely a, a solid third baseman, um, and especially for uh, that dry position. Um, it's nice to have a contributor, um, you know, kind of come out of nowhere. Moving on to pitchers, uh, we are reading from the Not What We Thought article from Nick Pollock, the SP Roundup. Of course, talking about maybe one of the more hyped um, debuts of the season with Brandon Fott uh, going up against the Rangers. Um, it wasn't great uh if you could tell from the article title 4.2 innings seven earned runs nine hits one walk three strikeouts uh yeah just incredibly disappointing from a guy who had been doing really well in the minors actually and very excited about his debut here i had him in tgfbi i was very excited for this start um he does get the marlins next so you know before we start freaking out he does have a pretty easy matchup. The Rangers are the second best offense in in the majors right now. Um, also, most of the runs came off four homers, um, which you know I don't think we'd expect him to have that issue for the remainder of the season. Um, the main thing here is that looking at the skill set, it just isn't as elite as the other guys that we're seeing. You know, Tanner Bybee, Bryce Miller. Uh, Mason Miller, even um, Logan Allen has better stuff. Um, the main thing that's going to click here for Fott is his four seamer. If that is started to dominate, uh, if we see that to have good returns at that Miami game, um, then I think it's worth keeping on to him. You know, if obviously he struggles with Miami, um, there's there's no reason to keep him on your rosters. But uh, for now, you know, definitely just hold and see how he does tomorrow. Uh, another guy who's been surprising, wow, a lot of Oakland pitchers today, J.P. Sears. Uh, six innings, zero runs, four hits, two walks, seven strikeouts. Um, yeah, Sears was electric. The the four-seamer was really, really good. Had 12 whiffs on its own. Um, he combined that basically with the sliders, um, which, you know, weren't as amazing. But, you know, he still got seven strikeouts, which is great. Didn't have the, the best command. Um, he does get the Yankees next, and like we mentioned, that offense is not very good. So he definitely is... Uh, worth starting there. He does get the Rangers and the Astros next, though. So a little scary, but, you know, J.P. Sears is not a guy necessarily that you'd be keeping on your rosters anyway. So, you know, start him in the right matchups and, and he might return something something really good. Moving on to Thursday's games, uh, we're going to talk <laughs> thanks to uh, Seth Kuzmeyer for the Furminator article. Um, and we're going to talk about Freddie Furman. Uh, I had no idea who Freddie Furman was. Uh, but obviously, if you are a Kansas City fan, then you know a lot about Furman. He went through for four with a triple, a home run, two runs, two RBIs, and a walk here. Uh, Furman is essentially... I would I would hesitate to call him a journeyman because he's only 27. Um, but he has... Um, yeah, just he's a catcher in, in the system. Uh, the minor league career slash line is 269, 353, 417. Not necessarily elite, um, but, you know, there's definitely maybe some potential here. I, I highly doubt he's going to have enough starts um, with the Royals to warrant being on a fantasy roster. Um, but th that being said, Salvi Perez, you know, the, the the Royals might move on from him or they, they might shift him to DH depending on, you know, what the rest of the team makeup looks like. So Furman might get more... Um, more time here in the majors. We'll see something to keep track of, but he clearly has some power. So, you know, good for him. 
Uh, some other hitters to talk about. Uh, Rafael Devers of the Red Sox went three for five with a double at Homer, a run and four RBI. Uh, triple shy of the cycle, but yeah, whatever. Uh, <laughs> with Devers, he's been amazing this year. Probably the league's best third third baseman. It'd be tougher. Uh, I definitely wouldn't, wouldn't disagree with that. Um, yeah, the, he's been a big part of why the Red Sox have been as hot as they've been recently. Uh, obviously, we've talked about a lot of other Red Sox pitchers, but, you know, the main guy here is Devers, you know, essentially quarterbacking that offense. So, you know, good to see from him. Moving on to pitchers uh, with the Eduardo Leviosa article from Nick Pollock. Great name there. The guy we're talking about here is Eduardo Rodriguez, who went eight innings with zero and runs, two hits, one walk, and nine strikeouts against the Mets. Um, yeah, he's he's been great. The, the main change for him is that he is using the cutter more instead of the slider. Um, it's got a 50% swing strike rate now um, and is just getting strikes almost 70% of the time. Um, yeah, he's just establishing establishing success with it um, pretty well. Um, and then just the other pitchers are playing off it pretty solidly as well. Um, the changeup and the four-seamer both had a CSW above 40%. Um, and yeah, so good for him. And he's got a pretty cushy uh, matchup next. He's got the Guardians, who are currently the worst to, in Team WRC+, which is kind of interesting. Uh, but then he's got the Pirates and the Royals after that. So definitely keep... Um, Rodriguez on your rosters, you know, maybe trade him after that. We'll see. We'll see how, how sustainable this is, but yeah, he's clearly doing really awesome. And then Zach Eflin of the Tampa Bay Rays going up against the Pirates, seven innings, zero and runs, three hits, no walks and 10 strikeouts. And he did this all in 80 pitches, which is the crazy part. I was actually thinking about picking up Eflin in one of my leagues, but it's a quality Stark league, and I knew that they were going to limit Eflin. I was like, well, he's probably not going to go uh, to to six innings and give me a quality start. So I'll pick up someone else. Uh, but, man, I kind of regretted that because Eflin was great. Sinker had a 53% CSW. The curve and the cutter were kind of fooling batters the entire night. He's got the Orioles, the Yankees, and the Brewers next. So uh, definitely a guy that you want on your rosters. Um there's, there's definitely a lot of potential there for, for him to be good. Well, that's it for the weekly performance recap. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk with PitcherList writer Michael Barker about his article, Shaping Up, Starters Who Are Changing Their Arsenals in 2023. And we're back. Uh, we're going to be joined by Michael Barker uh, talking about his article about uh, shapes, uh, pitch shapes that are changing this season compared to last season. Uh, but before we get started, Michael, how are you doing? I'm good. How about you? Doing well, doing well. It's uh, glad to glad to finally reach the weekend. Uh, For sure. Yeah. Why don't you introduce yourself to the podcast? Uh, you know, how long you've been playing fantasy baseball? Uh, you know, what teams do you root for? Uh, things like that. Right. Yeah. So I'm Michael. Uh, I've been playing fantasy baseball since probably the beginning of the 2021 season, relatively recently. Um, I had kind of kept track of it before. I kind of nerded out on spreadsheets, but I didn't start really playing in leagues until 2021. So this is my third full year of doing it and paying a lot of attention to it. Um, I grew up in Florida, so closest team was the Rays. I'm a Rays fan. Okay. And um, that's going pretty well for you this season. Yeah. Yeah, I can't complain. They've been they've been killing it so far. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. So, any specific types of leagues you enjoy playing, or is it kind of just like a standard redraft? That's kind of what you're involved in. Yeah. So, I think the main league that I pay attention to that I'm in a group with a bunch of friends with is started out as a redraft league, but uh, we switched over to like a limited keeper league a mm-hmm. couple of years ago. So, um we just had our first, like, this is our first season of, of having players we kept from last year. So pretty basic stuff. There's not usually high stakes. I usually just do it for fun, but I get super into it anyways. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Well, that's, that's great. Uh, so yeah, we're going to be talking about your article, uh, shaping up, basically talking about starters who changed their arsenals in 2023. Uh, right. I think just really interesting stuff that you have in this article, especially as, you know, people are still trying to kind of figure out, who are the guys that they want to kind of key in on early in the season? Uh, but yeah, with like a month, basically a month and a half of data now on these on most of these pitchers, it's, it's kind of cool to see that we can, you know, see how pitchers are changing their their pitch shapes. So I want to start out with Freddie Peralta, who's the first guy you talk about. Um, and one of the things you highlight is his increased velocity on the fastball, as well as 
you know, more horizontal sweep on the slider, kind of making it more of that sweeper pitch that a lot of people are talking about nowadays. Um, and those right. are kind of the reasons he's seeing success. Um, how do those two changes, you know, help both pitchers kind of play off one another even better this year than uh, maybe in, in the past for Freddie? Yeah, so I think I think the main goal for him this season has been to kind of revert back to what he was doing in 2021. He had kind of a rough injury shortened year last year, uh, mm-hmm. pitched only around 80, 100 innings, something around those, something along those lines. Um, so, and a couple of the changes he made from 2021 to 2022 were, I don't know, not really working out for him. You could see in, in one of the gifts I posted in the article, he, he just had kind of this limited movement slider. It was like down almost six whole inches, like half a foot of vertical uh, horizontal break. Um, he wasn't throwing the fastball quite as hard. It was just a lot of weird stuff going on. It might've been injury related. It might've been some adjustments they had that they wanted to jump ship on this year. But yeah, the main goal was kind of, it looks like he's just trying to move back in the direction he was in 2021 and his slider, I think is most of the way back in uh horizontal break. It's, it's up there in the 12 to 14 inches of, of horizontal run now. Um, and I think the main thing that that does for him is kind of gives him another weapon to attack hitters with on the horizontal plane because he's really a heavy like fastball guy like he's fastball mm-hmm. Freddie. he loves attacking guys with fastballs he threw him threw it over like 50 percent of the time last year and i think what he what he does a lot when he doesn't have a good feel for his off-speed stuff is just go really really heavy on fastballs and bank on that pitch just getting good results because it is so so strong in terms of like stuff characteristics Right. So, yeah, I think I think he kind of last year got away from his secondary pitches a little bit, leaned a little bit too heavily on the fastball and hitters were able to kind of limit him to, you know, just changing eye level. He wasn't really able to keep pressuring guys on both sides of the plate laterally. So I think adding more sweep to his slider helped him get back to that point where hitters now can't just go up and down with him. They have to kind of respect both sides of the plate and the increased fastball velocity it's really rare that you'll ever see a pitcher increase their fastball velocity and have it be a bad thing. I mean, right. Don Manaya, I think has increased his fastball velo a good bit and is seeing not great results this year, but outside of really isolated instances, um, upping your fastball velo is, is only going to do good things for you. So just kind of opening up those opportunities for him to attack hitters on both the vertical and the horizontal plane. He's already great at it with the the vertical plane with his fastball curveball. Um, and that slider getting back to where it was in 2021, that really opens a lot of a, a kind of attack patterns for him. Yeah, it's kind of impressive that he's added nearly two ticks of velocity to um, to the pitch, to fastball specifically. And if you want to maybe say, oh, injury might have sapped some of that power. I mean, it's still a tick higher than it was in, in 2021, which is right. uh, pretty impressive. And yeah, it's, it, you know, this is the, the two gifs that you mentioned in the article. Um, for for Freddie specifically, obviously it's a little bit of a different camera angle, but the yeah. amount of horizontal movement that he's getting on the the 2023 version is a little crazy. Like it, it literally starts like outside the batter in the batter's box and, and makes it back into the strike zone, uh, which is for sure. Cool. Yeah, I think it's I think it's it's right in there with I think it's still classified as a slider on like Savant, Pitch Leaderboard, mm-hmm. all that. But I think it's it's right in there characteristically where you could call it a sweeper and and nobody would question it. So. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a totally new pitch. That's cool. Well, moving on, uh, someone who's near and dear to my heart this season, Pablo Lopez, as uh, a Twins fan, uh, definitely been following his stuff this season, and especially the big thing was his addition of the the sweeper slider, you know, whatever you really mm-hmm. want to call it here. Um, but Pablo's always been, you know, well known for that fastball changeup combo, um, and you know, you mentioned that it could be even better this year. Uh, what are some things that you're seeing from his fastball and his changeup that kind of indicate um, that it could, yeah, it could return even better results this year compared to how elites it, it's it's been in the past? Yeah, so I think the when you look at his pitch arsenal and what he's working with this year, the first thing you're obviously going to notice is like that entirely new sweeper. Um, that's the first thing that jumps out at you, and that's the first thing people are going to. It's probably honestly a, a big amount of the reason that he's he's had so much, so much success early on is because he's controlling it really well and it has great stuff on it. Mm-hmm. But that increased fastball velo sh- really might be like half of the reason that he's he's doing this well because I think increasing the velo on his fastball is 
almost making his changeup more effective by proxy and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the interaction between those two pitches is so much better this year. I think the whiff rate on both of them is just through the roof. So I think that he added some, I think I want to say he added some vertical movement on his changeup this year, some drop to it, and then increased the velo on his fastball. So this is just like, this is basically impossible for right-handed hitters to get to. Right. And he uses it really effectively against left-handed lefties. So I think kind of just the slight adjustments to his movement profile and his changeup, and then just adding that fastball velocity. And you you want kind of the range that he's working with, that velo separation and that movement separation mm-hmm. is, is kind of ideal for fastball changeup combos, especially for, you know, these power righties who who kind of need something like that to get away with, you know, getting through the getting through the heart of the order more than twice. So I think the sweeper is is doing a lot for him and he's he's controlling it really well. He's painting it pretty consistently on the outer third of the plate. Mm-hmm. Um, but that fastball changeup combo, the interplay between those two pitches is just really improved from last year. I think um, he's throwing his fastball harder than he ever has. And that's just clearly messing with the timing for a lot of these hitters that are that are whiffing at his fastball more. They're just late on it. So. I think that that interplay between the two is is really kind of bolstering his his performance here early on. Yeah, I mean that was a, that was a big story in the in the World Baseball Classic when when Pablo came out and was throwing ninety six all of a sudden. Everyone's getting super yeah. excited, and then you know he kind of replicated that in, in the in the regular season too so far. So um, that's been that's been definitely fun to see. And yeah, I think it's 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 always interesting when we talk about fastball changeup. Uh, combinations because you know some people are inclined to be like oh you know change up's just a slower fastball but like you mm-hmm. mentioned he's got more movement on that changeup um and you know th- both those pitches probably coming out of his hand look look very similar so being able to yeah just get a little bit more break on that changeup um yeah it can definitely spell uh can definitely you know result to a lot more success than than what he was seeing in the past yeah, I don't, the Twins Twins might have something going on over there. I mean, we we know the Marlins to be a pretty good pitching development organization, but the Twins mm-hmm. have they've done some good stuff here with with Joe Ryan Lopez specifically. They have a lot of really good starters. They have more depth in that rotation than I ever remember them having in my lifetime. Yeah. So they've got, they've got some some secret sauce they're working with over there. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 been fun to watch. It is fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, moving on to. You know, the aces of all aces, uh, probably one of your favorite pitchers, Shane McClanahan. Uh, He it's interesting in your write up because, I mean, we already know how effective McClanahan is. He's been, you know, essentially like a top five, top 10 pitcher for the last uh, year, two years ish. And Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of things you mentioned in in this in this write up. But I think the interesting thing for me was that the curveball has less movement, um, but in kind of the way you saw it, that's actually leading to maybe better results, um, which right. I think sometimes we think like, oh, you know, more movement equals a better pitch. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, could you maybe talk about that a little bit? But how's the decrease in movement end up helping his curveball more in this case? I think a lot of the guys, I've been thinking about this a lot too, and I'm, I'm trying to work out the reason. I've, I'm not sure there's a ton of research into curveball movement specifically and how that correlates mm-hmm. to performance, especially for a guy like Shane. But I think something I suspect is that a lot of these guys that have like classically kind of big loopy curveballs don't have a lot of other weapons in their arsenal that they can lean on. So guys like, you know, Adam Wainwright, he's got what, like a mid mid to high eighties sinker outside of his curveball, maybe a changeup, just really not like overpowering stuff outside of the curveball, which is always graded out really well. And so I think what might be happening is with, with Shane specifically, he has so many other weapons at his disposal that he doesn't need this big loopy left-handed curveball. I think that might actually hinder him in this case because he has the changeup that just the changeup slider kind of mirror each other on the on the horizontal axis, and then the fastball is just this insane running rising monstrosity that comes in in the upper nineties. Yeah. He doesn't need this big loopy curveball to get chases. Mm-hmm. He can really use that pretty effectively to just drop it in the strike zone. I can't tell you how many times I've been watching him. And he just like the sequence of pitches is it's so repeatable. He dots like a 97 mile an hour fastball in the zone for strike one and then freezes guys the very next pitch to get to O2 on a curveball. He just drops that into the strike zone so reliably. So I almost feel like taking some some movement off of both axes on that pitch is 
almost making it harder to identify for hitters. And yeah. mm -hmm. so they're, they're letting it go a lot more. And I did mention that the chase rate on it is up, but he doesn't even necessarily use it as like this chase put away pitch. Most of the time, that's the change up against right-handed pitchers. And he'll usually just try to overpower lefties with the fastball. Mm -hmm. So I think it's kind of just this, like a lot of these pitch changes, it's, it's tinkering to make it a little bit better in how it interacts with all the rest of his pitches and, and kind of specifically um, his other off-speed offerings. It just makes it a little bit less discernible from a lot of his other offerings and, and righties can't really just like identify it out of the hand and sit on it, wait for it to drop into the zone and drop it into right field. You know, it's, right. it's a pitch mm -hmm. that they almost are forced to freeze and just watch go by and hope it misses the strike zone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, it it kind of reminds me, uh, we had um, a couple weeks ago, we, we had um, uh, a conversation on Nick Pavetta and mm -hmm. um one of the things that he's done with his curveball this year, granted the results haven't necessarily been there the same way they've been right, for Shane, yeah. but uh, it, it was basically that his curveball for the for last year uh, was going basically moving from out of the zone to into the zone to out of the zone, and so uh, you know if if you if a batter saw that it was the curveball or recognized that the, it was the curveball coming, they just lay off it because they knew it was going to be a ball. Um, mm -hmm. and so one of the changes we talked about is that, oh yeah, you know, the curveball actually now he, he's tightened up a little bit and it stays longer in the zone. So it, it batters just have to think about it a little bit more before they're willing to be, you know, take the pitch or, um, or swing. And I think kind of what you're saying here with Shane's curveball is, is a little similar where, yeah, that you can add a little bit more deception to it, make it look more like his other off speed pitches and just keep batters guessing and not knowing what, what's coming next. Yeah, I, I think that's a general trend that we're probably going to see a lot more with starting pitchers is that curveballs are kind of shifting away from these big put away chase pitches that that get swings and misses a ton and more mm -hmm. called strike weapons, just things you can reliably drop into the zone and command well uh, to kind of freeze batters. I mean, the Rays specifically, they really the only starting pitcher they have on their roster right now that uses a curveball in a more conventional way is, is Zach Eflin. Mm -hmm. Um and all their young guys right now, if they do have a curveball like a Taj Bradley, it's it's not anywhere near the the focal point of their arsenal. It's kind of more of a called strike weapon. So I think that they're probably trying to figure out exactly what movement profile optimizes that effect of that pitch in particular. Right. Yeah. Well, it's kind of nice that you mentioned Zach Eflin because uh, you also wrote about him in your article and he obviously just came off an amazing start uh, on Thursday yeah. Uh, where, yeah, I was, I was, I was a little bummed because I was thinking about picking him up and I, I'm in a quality start league and I was like, ah, I don't know if he's going to get to, you know, six innings on a, you know, 80 yeah. or 85 pitch uh, limit. And lo and behold, he goes seven shutouts. So, you know, it shows how much I know about pitching, but yes, yeah, uh, one of those guys where I think a lot of people were, you know, mixed feelings about him because he ended up last year in the Phillies rotation. You know, they weren't starting him in the playoffs at all. Then he goes and signs his contract with the Rays. And all of a sudden everyone's like, oh, you know, maybe the Rays saw something in him. And, you know, we, mm -hmm. we know how much the Rays love to tinker with with their guys. Um, so his, his draft stock, you know, was both up and down, I guess, you know, depending on how much you believed in uh, in the coaching staff in Tampa Bay. Uh, right. But yeah, since, since the articles come out, there's been, uh, well, now three starts for Eflin. Um, what are you liking from him? You know, what are you liking from his, what changes are you seeing in his pitch shapes from last year that might be leading to, you know, more success or, or, pro or maybe evidence that there might be something good coming for Eplin this season? Yeah, he's one of the most interesting pitchers I've, I've watched this year and I've watched pretty much all of his starts because I, I watch as many Rays games as I can. Mm -hmm. Um, I, th I hate to oversimplify it, but I really think like if the Rays ever go out and give a starting pitcher a multi-year contract, you know, yeah. not one of the like, Corey Kluber signings, not one of the, you know, they'll always bring in a veteran or two on a low risk one-year deal. But when they yeah. go out and like jump the market and give, you know, Zach Eflin a multi-year contract or Charlie Morton back in 2019, it's probably safe to assume that he's going to unlock something. I mean, mm -hmm. they're, they're just so good at doing that at this point. Um, so yeah, I was pretty high on him. I wrote about him earlier as like an underrated value and it sounded like most of the reason I said that was because he signed with the Rays, which wasn't really founded <laughs> in anything concrete, but, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I did point out that 
he's he's always been such a good command guy and it's kind of interesting that the Rays targeted him so heavily because they usually like to bring in these crazy stuff guys and then just get right. them to pound the zone with their stuff but he's kind of almost the inverse like a lot of that work is done for them he has like six he had what five six pitches he could command really well coming into this year so there was just like endless room for them to play with and so I think one of the things that I kind of correctly predicted was that they were going to optimize his fastball mix, depending on whether he was facing righties or lefties. He's throwing pretty much exclusively cutters to lefties, sinkers to righties. Um, And they've also done something super weird to his changeup. I mentioned in the article, it's like, it's, it's coming in softer. It's not dropping quite as much and it's adding a lot of horizontal movement, but it's getting significantly better results it's almost like he's uh, he's throwing it with the intention of a of a four seamer and it's acting a little bit more like a four seamer but maybe there's something they saw in the separation of it between his other pitches and maybe his his two fastballs that just makes it impossible to identify um but yeah he's just this insane command guy that they had so many avenues that they could go i thought maybe they would ditch his curveball slider mix for kind of a sweeper you know sweeper cutter mix Mm-hmm. like a lot of guys are doing. Um, but yeah, clearly the results are there. He's doing pretty much exactly what I think the Rays and a lot of fantasy owners wanted him to do, which is pound the zone, get more whiffs than I think a lot of us expected. And his his pitch mix, I think, has a lot to do with that. And there really haven't been that many huge movement profile adjustments. It's mostly been usage and uh, and honing that command in. Yeah. So you mentioned this in the article kind of in passing, but I I was looking at Eflin's stats too. Um, You mentioned that, you know, using the the sinker and the cutter kind of, you know, almost specifically against righties and lefties um, Mm -hmm. could result in a lot of weekly pulled ground balls, as is what you say in the article. And I just took a look at his ground ball rate. It's 58%. Uh, which is good for 16th in the majors right now. It, it, it's a huge jump for where he was last year at mm-hmm. 47%. Um, it, it, I guess it's working as intended because the stats seem to show that he is getting a lot of ground balls with maybe this this uh, change in the pitch mix and, and relying more on the the cutter and the sinker. Yeah, I think, I, th- I don't know. I think he might have been leaning a little bit too hard trying to go for the you know riding four seamer approach in Mm -hmm. philadelphia and the rays just said i mean the rays do this all the time with guys who have sinkers is that like if you have a sinker throw it a lot to the same sided hitters you know if you're if you're a righty with a good sinker throw it to righties all the time Mm -hmm. so i think the rays just saw like oh he has three kinds of fastballs two of them are kind of underutilized right now so let's just kind of split this down down the middle and use that sinker and cutter to pressure the, the inner half of the plate and just get a ton of weak contact instead of trying to miss bats with the four seamer. Mm-hmm. And I think that approach is is working wonderfully right now for him. Yeah, the the strike zone plot's actually kind of impressive on the sinker. There's like I think less than ten that are on the uh on the uh glove side technically. Uh, portion of the plate for for Eflin. He's basically just all locating the arm side, which is just kind of cool. Yeah, um, yeah. I just think he's he's this weird guy that entered free agency a little bit young for starting pitchers. I think he's like twenty. He was twenty seven in the off season, twenty eight uh-huh. now. He they felt good bringing him to a multi year deal, and he com- commands all his pitches really well. So, I mean, this kind of seemed like a layup when he yeah. signed with the Rays. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's going to go undervalued in the draft. Right. Market, exactly. Right? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I kind of want to ask another question here because you mentioned him in passing um, and, you know, you're a Rays fan. So I figured you probably could speak a little bit more to it. Mm-hmm. How good is Todd Bradley's fastball? I, you know, I think coming up through the minor leagues, the big talking point with him was kind of the gyro slider cutter mix. And, mm-hmm. and rightfully so he commands that really well and he manipulates the shape on those really well. But I don't think, anybody even myself saw how incredible his fastball was just as like a primary offering i mean he's i'm writing an article right now um about some of the rookie starting pitchers the top prospects we've seen debut yeah and you know kind of what they're working with and what they might need to adjust and the main thing i kept coming back to with with taj was 
that his fastball is such an overpowering offering in terms of characteristics. I think in term, if you just look at stuff plus it's the third best fastball in baseball right now with a minimum of a hundred or so thrown. And the two guys ahead of him are Strider and DeGrom. So it's just like, it's this typical kind of rising fastball, almost like a, I wrote another article about Pete Fairbanks and how crazy, like, ridiculous his fastball is mm-hmm. um it it kind of has a little bit of that in it it's like almost 20 inches of vertical break comes in well above 90 miles and 95 miles an hour on average and i don't know i think i think he's going to be really special if he can figure out the uh, kind of an optimal mix of, of off-speed offerings whether that's the circle change or the curveball um because that fastball cutter slider mix is is he could probably be a decent starter right now, but if he figures out those other secondaries, then I don't know. Sky's the limit for him. Yeah, totally. Uh, we spent a good 15 minutes last week on the pod talking about how we basically recommend Todd Bradley on all your teams. Then of course, then the Rays are like, Oh, we're going to send him down for a couple of weeks. And uh, yeah. now it's, we don't know what he's coming little, back. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a little weird. I don't know. That's just something the Rays like to do. They like to maximize their roster flexibility. If if mm-hmm. if a guy has options, they'll probably use them. So um, I don't know. That's just something you're probably going to have to live with. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't think it'd be too long before he's back up. Uh, I think they probably just wanted to use that excuse of getting him on a five day schedule so he could go work on his uh, work on his curveball and changeup mostly in kind of a low stakes setting. But sure. he he should be, he shouldn't be down for too long. All right. Well, we look forward to him coming back up, and uh, yeah, that raise uh, that raise rotation is looking a little scary. So, uh, yeah. you guys it, are it you, your team is just looking scary in general. But the yeah, the wealth of <laughs> pitching is just is is fun to watch. Yeah, it's 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 been a ride so far. Fingers crossed they don't get bit by the injury bug like they did last year. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, the Yankees at the bottom of the AL East, and the Rays at the top. Who would have thought? Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, Michael, for coming on and, and talking about your article on, uh, yeah, started to change in their arsenals in 2023. Uh, definitely recommend guys to check it out because uh, we we talked about several pitchers here, but there's some write ups here on Lodola, who I know a lot of people, you know, drafted really high early season, and then now you know we'll see what what happens with Lodolo. JP mm-hmm. Sears is a fun name that you mentioned here. Obviously, not a lot of people are excited about Oakland in general, but Sears has. Right. Uh, you know, some potential there to be a guy on your fantasy teams. Uh, definitely check that out. But before we before we uh, head off, Michael, what are some things that are coming up for you uh, with PitcherList? And, uh, you know, if, if you got a Twitter, you know, how can people reach out and, and uh, get a hold of your content? Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm working on kind of a just big write up piece of all the good rookie pitchers we've seen so far. Bradley, Fott, Bybee, Allen, all those guys. Um, so that's, that should be coming in the next couple of weeks. I want to say, yeah, should be coming, uh, kind of mid May ish. Um, my Twitter is just my last name backwards, kind of rec rab, uh, MB. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I've got a lot of stuff going on with, with pitcher list. Going to keep writing, going deep articles. I love talking about pitching and rookie starters are up next for me. All right. Sounds good. Well, we'll definitely look forward to that because some of the rookies have been impressive and then. And then you had Brandon Fott start this this week, which was, I think, pretty disappointing for a lot of people. Yeah, that so. was that was uh, that was rough for me too because I, I started him on a whim after I picked him up because I've been oh, holding sure. him for like two weeks. So yeah, I don't know. He'll figure it out. He has good stuff. Right. Yeah, I drafted him in um, TGFBI, but I didn't want to start him this week because uh, rookie debuts are never really a good good sign. But uh, yeah. hopefully, That's hopefully, he turns it around. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he will. All right. Well, thanks, Michael. Thanks again for coming on the show. Yep. No problem. All right. Thanks again, Michael. Uh, we're going to go on to the streamers for this week. Um, a lot of interesting names here, but there's three I'm going to focus on. Uh, starting with Tanner Bybee of the Guardians. He has a two-star week, Monday against Detroit and then Sunday against the Angels. Honestly, I do hesitate to call Bybee a streamer option. He's rostered in nearly half of Yahoo leagues. He's only rostered in 70% of ESPN leagues, though, so there's a good chance he might be available in the league you're in again it's a two-start week against pretty soft opposition his stuff is nice even though he hasn't reached six innings yet uh he's got good strikeout potential he hasn't walked anyone yet either so good command uh definitely stuff to build on for a couple easy starts uh Peyton Battlefield is the next guy of the Guardians he goes against Detroit on Wednesday uh you know just another Guardians pitcher um 
Battenfield is not as elite as the other guys, but you know he's had a few okay starts this season um, in his first season in the majors. He did just have a good outing against the Twins. He was perfect through five innings before giving up a two-run homer to Max Kepler. Ultimately, still finished with seven strikeouts in seven innings. So against um, you know a worse team like Detroit, I'd expect him to feast. And then finally, Rich Hill of the Pirates goes up against Colorado also on Wednesday. Um, he had a poor start. Um, against the Jays, but before that, he was on a personal three-game winning streak against pretty soft opposition as well. Um, yeah, he tends to do well against bad teams, and this Colorado team is not very good, no offensive pop whatsoever, so I expect him to contribute as a pretty good streamer. There's a bunch of other guys, too. You know, like, like I mentioned earlier, Bryce Miller goes against Detroit on Saturday. Carlos Carrasco um, goes against the Nationals also on Saturday. That'll be his first start back from the IL, of course, so there's a little caution there. Adrian Hauser goes against the Royals on Sunday. That's more of like a good matchup, not say you know, more indicating that Hauser is back. Uh, and then Brandon Fott, like you mentioned, goes against Miami on Tuesday. Uh, you know, there might be people who have dropped fought after his, his pretty awful outing, outing against the Rangers. And so this might be an opportunity to pick him up and see how he does here. Uh, but yeah, plenty of options for you to check out, um, and, and definitely be checking out articles on PitcherList, uh, especially the sit start article that comes out on Sundays, uh, where you just basically get to see the landscape for the next week and, and what pitchers you should be picking up. Well, that's it for our pod today. Um, you can find us again at This Week PL on Twitter. You can send us your comments and questions at thisweekplpod at gmail.com. You can find me at Twitter at the John Ka, uh, And you can follow Lee at Regicidal. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the Pitcherlist podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And leave us a five star review if you enjoy the show. Lastly, sign up for Pitcherlist Plus. Uh, by doing so, you can join us in the Pitcherlist Discord. Get advice from all the fantasy experts and writers over there. Well, that's all for this week, and we will be back next week with both Lee and I on another episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. See you in the next one. Later, everyone. Later, everyone.